Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by WarbyParker.com. You can get a free five-day home try-on, five pairs, five days, 100% free. Head over to to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. Go to the resources page, click on the Warby Parker icon, and get your free trial today. Okay, so first I just want to say happy Martin Luther King Day to all of those celebrating here in the United States. And if you are celebrating and you have the day off, thank you for spending it with the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast because it is a great episode. So this week I have Dr. Kim Marshall joins me to talk about oncology rehab. Kim is a doctor of physical therapy who recently directed her continuing education toward rehabilitation of the side effects of cancer and cancer treatment. She received her doctorate of physical therapy from Western University and her physical therapy degree from California State University, Long Beach, in 1985. She obtained her master's degree in biokinesiology from the University of Southern California in 1996. She has specialized in the treatment of orthopedic injuries for the past 20 years, and like I just said, she has directed her continuing education toward rehab of the side effects of cancer and cancer treatment. She developed this interest after her grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer, and as a result of the surgery and subsequent treatment, her grandmother lost her shoulder mobility and developed lymphedema. Often happens, right? In addition to becoming certified in the treatment of lymphedema, Kim completed the STAR training to address and treat other side effects of cancer, including unspecified pain, neuropathy, and cancer-related fatigue. She co-founded Progressive Physical Therapy and Rehab with Michael McKinley in October of 2004 in Orange County, California. So if you want to find out more about Kim and more about um, the STAR program and oncology specialization, everything is over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. It's all in the show notes. So what do we talk about today? So today we talked about the history of oncology rehab and the role of physical therapists as a healthcare professional ally. What is lymphedema and how can physical therapists learn to treat this condition? Common side effects of cancer treatment and the influence of on a rehabilitation program, important components of patient education and exercise program for oncology patients, especially those suffering with cancer-related fatigue. Um, This was such a fun episode. I learned so much after speaking to her. I was like, I want to go into oncology rehab. So uh, Kim is a wealth of knowledge, and if you have any questions, she has generously given her not only her email, but her phone number. So call her, ask her questions. She has, she will have the answers. I guarantee it. Okay. So again, before we get to today's podcast for all of you listeners of healthy, wealthy, and smart, Warby Parker is offering a free five day home try on to give you the opportunity to check out their glasses. So to get your home try on today, just go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com There'll be a link in the show notes for this show and, or you can go to the research section, I'm sorry, the resources section and click on the Warby Parker icon. So just remember glasses should not cost as much as an iPhone. Their prescription glasses start at $95, including the lenses. So check out Warby Parker, get your free try on, get your glasses and enjoy this episode with Dr. Kim Marshall. 
Hey, Kim, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you on. Thanks for having me. And like I said in the intro, you work in the area of oncology rehabilitation. And we were kind of talking before we went live here and how not a lot of people know that oncology rehabilitation is even a thing. Probably more patients know about it than physical therapists. So how did you get interested in this area? Well, I did orthopedics for years and years. And then my grandmother uh, had a mastectomy for breast cancer and developed a frozen shoulder. So I always uh, sort of, and it changed the whole symmetry of her body, actually, and her posture. It kind of pitched her forward, which changed her balance. Uh, and so she hated her prosthesis. She wanted to have a prophylactic mastectomy, but Medicare didn't pay for that. Um, so uh, it was always in the back of my mind that people who had cancer uh, didn't really follow up with physical therapy. And so it, um, down the road, I got the opportunity to develop an oncology program. And then uh, somebody said, you really I went to an onco oncological rehab um, program. And somewhere during that, they said, you need to also be able to treat lymphedema because people can't come to you for uh, problems associated with side effects of cancer and not, uh, and go somewhere else for lymphedema. And so then I became certified in lymphedema and actually I got pretty busy treating lymphedema. And then, uh, in the past couple of years, I've really tried to expand through small group education to, uh, you know, really expand our ability to treat patients with different side effects other than just the lymphedema, including the cancer-related fatigue. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk more about the cancer-related fatigue in a little bit. Um, but, you know, you obviously were interested in the area because of a relative, and I think that that happens in all different areas in physical therapy, right? You get interested in, in an area because of an experience that you or a relative or a friend had. But how did... Onc oncology rehabilitation get started? What is the history behind it? Uh, I think a lot of it actually started in relation to treating women who had uh, lymphedema. And uh, because that's been around for such a long, long time. And with, uh, and because they used to take out all the axillary lymph nodes. You have an average of about 25, and they would take a lot of them out. And then they started doing the sentinel node detection, and you know now they take much less. Only you're still, depending on who you follow, you're still uh, about 30% of women develop lymphedema. And so um, interesting, though, in the 80s, there was a lot of research done on working with patients with side effects of cancer, but a lot of it was done by nurses looking at uh, the effect of exercise. And I think I, I even want to say Winningham, I think her name was, was a nurse looking at using exercise. And again, a lot with uh, breast cancer survivors because they were such a big group. Um, and then at some point, uh, Dr. I'm going to say Fouser 
from Michigan. She has done a, a tremendous amount of research looking at the effect of exercise and, and getting more specific, looking at VO2 max and its effect on uh, on whether or not you know that's uh, affects people's complaints of fatigue. And so uh, somewhere along the line, physical therapists actually got involved and uh, now it's just expanding more and more. We have our own journal, so. And, and there's also an oncology section in within the APTA, right? Yes, yes. And, 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 and with combined sections meetings coming up, I think if people, if this is something, if you're a physical therapist or a student or a physical therapy assistant and you, you want to learn more about it, then CSM is a really great place to do that because, as you know, there's all these breakout sessions, right? And mm-hmm. so what a great place to kind of maybe, if you will, uh, dip your toe into the oncology rehab pool, if you'd like, right? So there's going to be a lot of programming at CSM, I'm assuming. Yes, and, and there's a lymphedema um, SIG, uh, special interest group as well. And there's even a few pre-conference uh, sessions so it, it can be so easy just to just go to neuro or go to ortho, but there are some generalized sessions. As a matter of fact, it, you, it, they might be general to the point where, you know, I'm, I might not go just because it's too generalized, but it'd be perfect. You know, recognize it. it I think there's actually, even when I looked just today at the um, CSM, uh, courses, and I think there was one that was even just sort of recognizing what general PTs need to do and recognizing issues in re- related to cancer survivors. Yeah. Some yeah, and I think that's great. And, you know, before I just realized, before we go on, just in case people are listening and they're not clear on what lymphedema is, can you uh, define and explain that for the listeners? Uh, the technical definition is the abnormal accumulation of protein-rich fluid. Uh, and I think in medical school, I heard once where in medical school, they spend an average of 15 minutes talking about the lymphatic system. What? And that's in medical school. So I don't really even remember going over it that much uh, in PT school. And uh, that's been a long, long time ago. But uh, so when you get, I don't know that most people even really think about their lymphatic system at all, but it's the system that collects all the extra fluid in your body and returns it via the cardiovascular and then your genital system. And eventually you, and it has other properties as well. It, it has uh, bacterial infection fighting properties and so um, when you take out too many lymph nodes and you do radiation and uh, you create scar tissue then you can develop a, a case of lymphedema and breast cancer it's the number in this country it's the number one breast cancer is the number one reason for the development of secondary lymphedema and it do you have to like have all these lymph nodes removed 
to have lymphedema or let's say you're we'll take breast cancer again since it's uh, most common in that population what if you only had one or two lymph nodes removed are you still at risk and if when you are at risk are you at risk for the rest of your life that's a good question so there we we now know that there are uh risk factors which uh, we can talk about with the patients. And one is how many lymph nodes they took out. Another one is the uh, amount of drainage after the surgery. If there's tremendous amount of drainage, sometimes that's an indication that you're going to, or that you could be a little bit predisposed. Um, did you have radiation therapy? Um, your age, because the lymphatic system gets older as well. Um, and your BMI, the higher the BMI, uh, that's a risk factor as well. Um, so chemo, not so much, although chemo does increase capillary permeability. So it can be a smaller risk factor. Okay. So that's a lot more than I would have ever, I just thought it was how many lymph nodes did you have taken out? I didn't realize that you have on top of that the amount of drainage afterwards. And for people who've ever worked or have had family or friends who've had uh, mastectomies, you have drainage sites that come out and drain into those little pods. And so when we say the amount of drainage after surgery, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. And so we have the amount of drainage, age, BMI, and radiation and maybe chemo a little bit. That's that's quite a lot more than I thought contributed to lymphedema. So I'm glad that you cleared that up. Okay, so if you're, you know, we talked about if you're a physical therapist or a student and you're interested in oncology rehab, what sort of special training is needed for this type of physical therapy? Uh, to get, you have to become certified as a lymphedema uh, therapist, and those are basically about two week. Well, they, they've broken it up a little bit now, but it's about um, six days, 12 days. It's a pretty long con ed. Uh, and then you take a test, and it is, and, and to be certified in lymphedema, it's not necessarily a uh, APTA certification, uh, it's through private con ed companies, but the certification is fairly standard. And you, when I took it, you had to pass an oral test uh, and uh, or demonstration on bandaging and a written test as well. And uh, then I became STAR certified, which is an outside, uh, same thing, private sort of con ed. And it's an, ac an acronym. And it was started by a physician who uh, had breast cancer and sort of recognized that there was uh, a lack of knowledge, especially among physical therapists. And that was, uh, that was a good basis. And then I've gone to other con ed courses along the way. There's a pretty good uh, availability out there now for anybody. If you look under the oncology section, you can find some courses. And um, now it's going to be its own specialty at some point. Cool. Just like, yeah, we were talking just like you could take the OCS or the SCS. There'll be a specialty certification through the APTA 
uh, for oncology rehab, which I think is amazing and a great idea. And it, it just sort of, I feel like it, it helps to kind of, I don't want to say make it real because I don't think that's right, but I think put more seriousness to the need for PTs in this setting. Yes, I, because I would never tell anyone that I specialized in women's health, you know, or if somebody called, I would, uh, you know, and made an appointment or wanted to know, I would, I would refer them somewhere else. And I think as we become more specific, that same thing is going to happen. So if somebody comes to you and they've had breast cancer, they have some swelling, or maybe they just have questions and they uh, had, they took cisplatin and had 35 treatments of radiation. Those are all going to be things that you're very familiar with. And, and cause I, I think you're right. It's, if you're not familiar with that, the amount of, you could, you need to be able to work with the knowledge that are the, the, have the skill set to be able to give those patients what they need specifically that is not some surprise that then you need to go and look up. Right, right. So it's good to have this information readily available in your head, you know, and that's kind of what these certifications, whether it be the STAR certification, lymphedema, and eventually uh, specialty certification through the APTA allows that information to be right in the in your front of your brain versus having to dig through, like you said, books or, or God forbid, make something up, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, because PTs never do that. No, never, <laughs> never. Um, and I think it's also important for PTs out there who maybe you're not interested in this, but to be able to refer to someone who is, right? I, I, I could not agree more because you could actually, uh, I don't want to say do damage, but, uh, you know, the, there's some research to support uh, the exercises that you do for cancer-related fatigue to monitor the heart rate and not have it exceed a certain uh, amount, be able to be familiar with the chemos that cause some heart damage. So you certainly wouldn't want to send somebody out there, you know, trying to work at 80% of their max heart rate. Um, but that's what we typically tell people who you know, are interested in achieving an aerobic response. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it actually makes me uh, a concern when I, when people go somewhere and especially these days when you have limited benefits or, you know, right. and then you just had 10 of your max 12 visits seeing somebody who, who didn't have that skill set. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I mean, if nothing else, you're doing this obviously with patient first in mind, you know, so that patient has a good experience. And so that mm -hmm. patient gets better. And like you said, in, in the healthcare environment that we're in now, people don't have unlimited PT visits anymore. You know, mm -hmm. that it just doesn't exist. And so you want to make sure that 
you're doing what's best for the patient and, and what's right for that patient. And if that means saying, you know something, I've actually never worked with someone right after chemotherapy or even during chemotherapy or during mm-hmm. radiation treatments. So let me let me refer you to someone who does because we want to make sure that you're getting the best care that that you need, right? And and listen, this is uh cancer a cancer diagnosis uh I can assume is very scary and overwhelming. Um and so you know, there there are hospitals who have very extensive care for cancer patients that includes PT right here in New York City we have Memorial Sloan Kettering which is great and and their PT department is amazing um but for a lot of people maybe this type of care is not there right it's not readily available um mm-hmm. or they don't know about the importance of exercise and that it can be provided by a PT. So what do you say to this population or, or even to anyone who may have a friend or family member with cancer? Uh, well, that's a really good question because my, uh, part of my frustration with finding somebody who say is a lymphedema therapist is that you, you should be able to look up in your insurance book. And, you know, unfortunately you can look up uh, cardiology and the and the physicians listed are going to be cardiologists. But if you looked up physical therapy, you know we don't have that benefit of knowing who. And, and, and you know if you're the patient, whether it's cancer or uh, pediatrics, um, you know sometimes you have to call around. And yeah, uh, I, I can't even get it on our big physical therapy provider network, you know, so uh, I would say for those people to go ahead and and uh, interview, and, and you're right, a lot of the hospitals sometimes, a lot of times uh, getting to a hospital is maybe inconvenient or sometimes, um, you know, sometimes people don't want to be in a hospital setting for mm-hmm. their rehab, but I, you know, if, especially if you're in a rural area, I'm going to guess that would be maybe where I would start. Uh, and then the next place, there's nothing wrong with, uh, these days, most private clinics have websites. So one would be to go on your insurance book and look it up and then cross-reference with the website and see if you come across uh, information that would, you know, lead you to believe that they can do it. And then I would maybe even interview them. Uh, so I, I have patients call and, uh, and then, and then if I think that maybe it's a good fit, if they just want to come in and have a consultation, that's okay too. Uh, I think that we need to be a little bit more available to patients to make sure that, if we can't treat them, then we're getting them in the right uh, direction. Yeah. So it's it sounds like if you're the patient or the family or friend of a loved one, uh, that it really behooves you to be that savvy consumer, right? And to call around. And, and it's okay to be interviewed. And if you're the PT being interviewed, you have to be okay with that. 
Yes, and I don't think we have done that. I, I don't think we're, because we don't necessarily see ourselves as primary caregivers. And I, I don't think that we are uh, as available or we're sort of, you know, lower down the food chain. So we depend on referrals. But I, I think it's some place along the line, you know, patients are, patients find me. Um, mm -hmm. And they find me through the National Lymphedema Network, which is another place you can go, you know, to find physical therapists and uh, lymphedema treatment centers. And those people, if they're experienced with the lymphedema, they're probably it's probably not a uh, it's probably a safe idea that they probably are experienced with other oncology issues, but yeah. not a given. Yeah, yeah. But at least that's a place to start. So now we've kind of talked about uh, some of the other issues aside from lymphedema, but can you say what, what are those big issues in an oncology rehab program? Obviously, we talked about lymphedema. What else is there? Uh, the scar tissue that I, I work with a lot of head and neck patients, actually, who have had... Um, undergone a number of procedures. So head and neck patients, if you have breast cancer, there's, you still have a 30% risk of developing lymphedema. If you have head and neck cancer, you have a 60% uh, risk of developing lymphedema. Thankfully, it's fairly easily treated and gravity certainly helps it. But people who in uh, head and neck cancer is one of the few cancers that's actually on the rise because of HPV uh, and especially with men. And so they develop all kinds of problems associated with the radiation, um, including things like trismus or the, you know, TMJ tightness, difficulty opening the mouth, uh, myopathy of some of the muscles surrounding the area where they get the uh, radiation, um, uh, loss of cervical range of motion. Uh, so, uh, and, and then even if they've had chemotherapy, the neuropathy, we all, we tend to think of neuropathy as the, you know, pins and needles in the hands and feet. And certainly that can happen, but it can also do things like affect your hearing, can affect your digestion. So just, a, you know, a laundry list of issues. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I, and I've had patients who've had chemotherapy and I've had that neuropathy related to the chemotherapy um, mainly in there. I've only seen patients that had them in their feet, but it's, then you're talking about balance issues, walking issues. I mean, so even though these patients are going through an oncology ep or cancer episode, they still have a lot of other side effects that fall into neuro, that fall into ortho, that, you know, and so as, as the therapist, you really have to kind of know it all for these patients, right? It, yeah, I think my years spent in ortho actually helped me a little bit just because, you know, I know a winged scapula when I see it. Right, now I just right. have to 
sort of track down, you know, why it's happening. And is it happening because, you know, the pec muscles have become too tight and, or is it myopathy or weakness of the scapular muscles? So, uh, because you're, you're right that a lot of, uh, on oncology patients, uh, have, have a neuro and an ortho problem as well. Yeah, absolutely. And now we've sort of skirted around this issue a little bit, but I do want to talk about the cancer-related fatigue. So Mm -hmm. I think it's important to note that cancer-related fatigue is not just like, I'm tired, I'm going to take a nap kind of a situation. So can you explain a little bit more about cancer-related fatigue and why that's so problematic for these patients? And then what can PTs do about it? Uh, cancer-related fatigue is is the number still the number one complaint uh, side effect from the treatment of cancer, and uh, the quick and dirty test is is your fatigue uh, alleviated by rest, and if it's not, then it's what we call cancer-related fatigue or CRF. So the, there's a, a long list of contributing factors, and those are things like uh, a change in um, your red blood cells, change in white blood cells, uh, uh, as well as um, uh, decreased uh, lung capacity, uh, weakness, uh, uh, and, and, and the weakness can uh, weight gain, uh, depression, uh, so, and especially for people who have had breast cancer, and I, and I saw this in a patient today, she's, she's being screened for uh, lung cancer, but the reality is that she's had a tremendous weight gain post-breast cancer treatment, and also she has a tremendous amount of scar tissue in the pectoral area and at some point as well as the trunk area. So then they become upper respiratory breathers. And so because now they're not having good rib expansion and, and, the, and there is a possibility that also she has some scar tissue in and around the lungs. And then depending on the chemotherapy, it affects, can affect the, uh, the heart function. So that's how you get down that road. And, and now she's over, overweight as well. So, so yeah, she's fatigued as a result of five or six different factors. Right. And so, gosh, we just talked about being a neuro PT and an ortho PT, but now, you know, we're taking into the cardiovascular, a huge cardiovascular uh, component, especially like you said, with patients going through radiation and, and chemotherapy. So with these patients that have cancer-related fatigue, it's not like you're going to say, let's say you took someone like me who maybe is just deconditioned, right? <laughs> well, I'm not deconditioned, but I, let's say someone like me who maybe had a hospital stay and was deconditioned, right? Right. Versus right. someone going through cancer treatments that you don't just throw them on a treadmill and call it a day and just gradually increase them here and there. So what are some things that you have to look out for uh, if you're treating patients with cancer-related fatigue who maybe have these cardiovascular components because of the treatments they're receiving? Well, it, one thing that we do is 
uh, use outcome measures, you know, like the brief fatigue inventory um, and, you know, just to give us a score. Uh, and so a baseline and, uh, I, you know, now that I've used outcome measures, I use a lymphedema quality for life outcome measure. I've used a brief fatigue inventory. Um, uh, it, it's important. Patients always, they want coaching, you know, to help them with the brief fatigue, but outcome measures, I, I always tell them just be as truthful as you can based on how you feel. But that at least gives us a score and something to look at. Mm -hmm. And so that would be the very first thing is, and, and I actually try to have all my oncology patients do a brief fatigue. Uh, and so, uh, so I can either screen them and, or, and so, cause sometimes I'm surprised. It's not, you know, when we go over, what are you here for? Uh, how can I help you? Sometimes they don't even mention fatigue because you're right. They just sort of feel like, of course I'm fatigued. Of course right. I. Of course I'm tired. I have cancer. I'm going through chemo. Of course I'm tired. But then when they fill out a brief fatigue inventory, uh, then and they score high on it, then now now it's it's something uh, that I need to address at least, trying to get an idea of how much it's really affecting them. Yeah. Uh, and then, then through the assessment now, and, and I try to do a little, uh, cardio assessment in terms of, you know, I want to take their O2 saturation. I want to take their temperature. I want to take their blood pressure and your heart rate, uh, and just be as thorough as I can with things like that, as well as looking at what are the structural components of this. And then now we can start talking about, well, this is how we're going to address the fatigue. And uh, this is what a program looks like. And what's what type of exercise program is recommended for these patients? I think the easiest and the best is always a walking program. And there's a quite a bit of research to support the benefits of a walking program. I think the hard thing is to get patients on something that is relatively structured, which then can be progressed because if they do it once and, and this happens all the time is people come in and they say, well, I tried walking and, and it's always, they tried walking for half an hour. They slept for two days. So uh, giving them a structured program that starts at a certain level, monitor their heart rate and teach them how to monitor their heart rate and then progress it as you go along. Yeah, absolutely. And are there things that people can do at home without a PT supervision? Like, do you recommend for these patients that they get, you know, a Fitbit or something that is somewhat tracking their heart rate so that if they're doing this stuff on their own, they kind of know how much to push themselves or using the RPE scale so that they have an idea. How does, how do you sort of quantify all that? I, I go over the bird scale, the RPE. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that I, I, I use a Fitbit myself. But, uh, and I haven't used one recently, but I, I do like things sometimes that are a little bit more specific to heart rate, mm -hmm. like polar um, the, uh, with the chest strap, because then I think it's going to be a little bit 
more uh, accurate. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and I start them off, depending on their level, I, I teach them, I give them the number. And generally, we try to use 70% mm -hmm. uh, as a max heart rate. And so I calculate it for them. I show them how to, and if they're going to use a polar. And I use polars in my clinic. Uh, and, uh, some people like to track things on their phone now. And, uh, so if they do that, I'll, I'll help them find an app that works for them. And then sometimes I even give them a spreadsheet so that they can, and it's got, uh, RPE on it, how long they exercised, whether or not they got their heart rate up. And so it's got a couple of different categories in it and that's their, their diary. So then we can go over it and see where there were problems, uh, you know, uh, if they're ready to move up a little bit. And moving up would depend on uh, what their overall medical status is. Sure, sure. I love the idea of them keeping a diary. I think that's brilliant because... Oftentimes, one of the biggest things we hear, as I'm sure you've heard in, in your career as a PT, is people don't stick with that home exercise program. And so to have that diary, it's just a way to be accountable, right? And mm -hmm. then if you're going through it and, and you're saying, oh, they didn't do anything for X amount of days, it's, it's, it's a great way to keep yourself motivated and to keep yourself going. That's why people do food diaries, right? When they're thinking about, oh, I have to lose weight. The first thing a nutritionist or a dietitian will say is, well, let's keep a food diary. And I think it's also surprising to see what you do over that, for in your case, over that spreadsheet, right? And are, do you find that people that oncology patients that you're treating, are they surprised at perhaps how little work it takes for that heart rate to go up? Uh, or yes. how much, or, or vice versa, how much they have to do to, to get that heart rate to go up? Yes, I would say that's, that's it, because I'll put them on the treadmill so that we can, you know, I can show them you know, we can monitor it together so they can see, and there's a, a sub-max tests that you can do on the treadmill as well, um, a modified Bruce. And so, uh, I, you know, you, you actually have to work harder than you think. I mean, you think 70%, that's lower than the recommended, you know, to reach an aerobic level. And, but yet it's a little bit harder than you think to get your heart rate up. Yeah. And unless you're really, really deconditioned and then it's not so hard. Right. So right. I, I want them to have a feeling of what it feels like to be at that level. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. And I think that's for PTs out there. If, if you have a patient, let's say you have a patient that they're going through chemo or radiation, but you're seeing them for something else, right? They just happen to be going through. I, I, I think it, that... And, and I'm sure you feel the same way. You cannot stress enough that you need to take vitals on all of these patients, right? And you need to know what chemotherapy drugs are on and how that can affect the heart rate. And I would, I would assume every time you're putting them on some sort of piece of equipment that you want to be monitoring them and taking their right. vitals throughout, right? 
Yes, for the oncology patients, you know, they have it there. They have the polar and they have the chest strap on so we can monitor them. Mm-hmm. For everybody else, even my ortho patients, we do a pre and a post. And I'm surprised at the amount of PTs out there who don't do that. I know. So, I know. I've talked about this with Rich Severin, who is in the cardi- cardiopulmonary. And, you know, our his big thing and is that vitals are vital. You know, you every PT should be doing this, especially like you discussed earlier. You know, we're not known to be these point of entry practitioners within the healthcare field. But if we want to be taken seriously as that point of entry into the healthcare field, we have to do this. When you go to the doctor, what is the first thing they do? Heart rate, BP. Right. right? So it just, it, it's something that we just have to get in the habit of doing all the time. Right. And, and now with Medicare and G codes, I mean, you, uh, you have to have a medication list or my patients, it's right. It's in their chart. So, but I'm surprised at, uh, how often I think with the, now with the DPT, I think more are doing it because we, we should have to take a medical screening or a differential diagnosis. And so hopefully we're looking, you know, for those things. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, so I thank you for bringing that up and just hammering that point in, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Now let's talk about, because another big thing in the, I think the rehabilitation world is the idea of prehabilitation, right? So we talked earlier and we said, you know, if you're going for a knee replacement, usually you get a little prehab, maybe an ACL reconstruction, you'll do a little prehab before you have it. So is there prehabilitation for cancer treatment? There is. The idea is out there and some practitioners are doing it, but it, it tends to be very patient driven, not uh, oncology. And I think historically, oncologists, I, I mean, if you're an ortho PT, you you know orthopedic surgeons. You know them. You can call them. Oncology is a little bit different, and I, there hasn't oncologists. I don't think in their training, and maybe the younger ones, it's a bit different. But I don't think that they necessarily uh, think to send patients even after the treatment, much less before. So the idea to do prehabilitation is out there, but at this point, I think it's more patient-driven than anything else. Got it, got it. And what can PTs do to kind of let patients know that, hey, we're here for you, whether it be pre-any cancer treatments or post-cancer treatments? Because like we said earlier, it doesn't seem like a lot of people know that PTs do this. So what can we do as a profession to kind of get the word out to more, uh, whether it be physicians, hospital systems, and patients themselves? Uh, I think it would be great if the APTA in their capacity had communication with the AMA. And because I, I, I don't... I don't know where that needs to, but when I was at SC, um, there, there were PTs who went in and talked to the medical students and, and a number of classes we took together, you know, and 
And then it seems like it, it gets very compartmentalized. Um, uh, and, and, and you're right, the patients who are really savvy, those are the ones that are looking for. The recommendations for lymphedema is actually uh, that we do pre any treatment at all screening. And, you know, so that we're comparing pre and post, not mm. just involved and uninvolved. Uh, and, and then we can also, that's when we should be doing patient education, not when they're now, you know, frightened that they're going to develop it, but before, you know, yeah. what to look for. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of what to look for, that leads right into my next question was, um, sometimes with cancer treatment, side effects maybe don't come out until after therapy has ended. So if you're the patient or the loved one of a patient undergoing cancer treatments, what should you be on the lookout for? What is considered normal and abnormal? Uh... Unfortunately, if you've undergone the treatment for cancer, it, it, you're going to have a new normal. So I think the hard thing is to know when to, I, and I, I would certainly say I'm an advocate for have a consultation with a physical therapist who is skilled so that then, then you know what to look for as opposed to, you know, there's a little bit of research to support the fact that women who feel their arm is swollen or full before it's even measurable uh, that that they may be prone to developing lymphedema. And there's different different theories on why that is, you know, just because your skin tends to push back. But mm -hmm. uh, before it's even measurable, um, you know, to have a consultation, uh, there's more and more bioimpedance testing out there, you know, mostly in physicians' offices or in the hospital setting, you know, people can have that. Uh, so I, I guess I would be an advocate for finding somebody who you can, you know, go over your laundry list. We should be the people that, that patients, the healthcare providers that people can come and complain to and along with their concerns and fears. And so they can be screened and Sometimes and sometimes they have uh, uh, I have a small HMO contract and I see a lot of their patients and it is for patient education and screening. It's not you now the next step would be to see them even before they underwent treatment, sure, but at sure. least I'm getting them afterwards. Yeah, which is so I think which is so important because with I would assume with the diagnosis such as cancer and the treatments that accompany it, if someone doesn't expressly say to you, you should really seek out a PT, you've got a million other things swirling around in your head and it may not be top of mind. So, right. and, and I don't know when someone, and, and, and this is a question I really don't have the answer to, so maybe you might because I don't really work with this population, but if someone is going in for, uh, let's say, a mastectomy or some sort of cancer-related treatment, do they have an educational day like, I know here in New York at Hospital for Special Surgery, if you get a hip or knee replacement, you go to the hospital before surgery and you have a whole day of education. 
So, and, and it, that includes the physical therapist coming in and nursing and, and pain management. And is something, does something like that exist for cancer patients or is that very sort of system dependent, hospital system dependent or physician dependent? Uh, it, it may happen at places like Sloan Kettering. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think the hard thing, when you're facing cancer, y- you have four to five, you know, different doctors, maybe not four to five, but you know, you have, so you have a lot of information coming at you at once. You're Mm -hmm. seeing a surgeon, a medical oncologist, a radiation oncologist. uh, uh, So I would say you've got so much information coming at you. And, And depending on, sometimes you just see a very, very proactive surgeon. Uh, but I, I would say that that is not necessarily typical. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's just something that was kind of swirling through my head as we we're talking about all this patient education and and what a good resource PTs are. I think for educating the patients. So hopefully. Uh, that is something that really begins to change in the future. And that, like you said, wouldn't it be great to get people before they go in for their procedures versus, but hey, at least we're getting them after, which is important. Right. But, but in an ideal world, before and after would be great. Like you said, you could take measurements. You can, you know, give people. And I, I would think knowing that you're going in for a cancer treatment and when you come out you've got this great therapist who is there to listen and empathize and really help them through the process I think would give people a nice peace of mind as well mm-hmm. yes and I have I had a patient today who she I'm seeing her actually for a broken wrist because she is osteoporotic as a result of the chemotherapy which she didn't even know uh, and so, you know, somebody like that, at some point, she should probably be doing weight-bearing exercises. And, uh, you know, but she didn't even know to, to do that. Well, why would she, right? Yeah, yeah she's in, yeah, early yeah. late 40s, early 50s. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, again, this is where the education just becomes so vital. So, uh, you know, we've got a few minutes here, but... Um, before we wrap things up, I have two questions. Okay. First one, uh, how, what would you say are the most important points that we spoke about today for any PTs thinking of getting into oncology rehab? Uh, That is really rewarding. I, I think that there is something about, you know, the diagnosis of, cancer, you know, and facing maybe your own mortality. Um, but, uh, you know, I always tell my patients, I'm on the, the good end of this in terms of putting people back together and, um, and that it's, and that it's challenging. And, uh, and after 20 years of doing orthopedics, not that I don't still enjoy those patients, but I really like the challenge that, the oncology patients uh, represent. Every patient is a little different in terms of symptoms and then a little bit different in terms of where they are in their recovery. Yeah, excellent. And then lastly, this is a question I've been asking all the PTs as of late, but 
you know, you said you've been practicing for for a little bit now, as have I. Um, you don't have to reveal the number. That's okay. Um, but what would you, knowing what you know now, tell your new grad self X amount of years ago? I, my new grad self. Fresh out of P, fresh as a daisy out of PT school. Uh, you know, when I graduated, it was always still a good idea to go work in a hospital, you know, and I don't know that they tell new grads that (laughs) anymore. So, uh, but I think it was really beneficial. Uh, I think that it, it teaches you, you know, a, a lot in, um, the other thing that I would tell my new grad self is maybe to think outside the box. You know, I, I sometimes uh, lecture at Cal, uh, local Cal State here about um, lymphedema and oncology. And I always ask the question at the beginning, you know, who's going to who wants to go into pediatrics? Smattering, smattering, neuro, smattering, ortho, 80 to 90 percent of the class. Who wants to go into oncology? There's always one lone PT, you know? And uh, and so I guess I would tell my new grad self to look forward and look at some of the emerging fields in physical therapy. It doesn't have to be oncology, but think outside the, the uh, orthopedic box. There's a lot of orthopedic PTs out there to maybe think outside that box a little bit. I think that is wonderful advice. Wonderful advice. I love it. So now, where can people find out more about you and what you're doing? Do you have uh, a way people can get in touch with you? I do. Uh, So first would be just simple phone number. And uh, my clinic's name is Progressive Physical Therapy uh, Plus. And the phone number is uh, 714-547-1140. And then our website is progressivept.andrehab.com. Perfect. And, and you're in Southern California, right? Orange County. Yep. And then just my email address, which is kmarshallpt at att.net. Excellent. Well, I have to say, I thank you very much for coming on. And I hope that our discussion today maybe helps some PTs who are on the fence about oncology rehab, maybe dive in and just to get more people, like you said, thinking about different ways to utilize physical therapy in your community and with different populations. So I thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Anytime. And everyone, as always, you can check out the show notes at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. We'll have everything that we talked about today and more with links to everything. Uh, So don't worry about that. All in the show notes. And, of course, you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at KarenLitzyNYC. So, everybody, thanks for listening, and I hope that you kind of piqued your interest in oncology rehab. And I will check you you guys next week. In the meantime, stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.